This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio. I'm your host this week, Rob Conybeer, coming to you live from snowy Seattle. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm that's based down in the Silicon Valley Bay Area, where we focus on investing in early stage companies. If you're listening right now and you have any comments or questions during today's show, give us a call here in the studio. Our number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So coming up today, we'll be focusing on consumer-facing companies, and we're going to start with a segment with Kirsten Korosek, who is a senior reporter and editor at TechCrunch. We're going to talk about what happened at the Consumer Electronics Show, which was a week-long extravaganza in Las Vegas last week. She's also co-host of the Atonicast podcast. It's a weekly show discussing the future of transportation. Kirsten, it's great to have you back on the show today. Thanks to be, Thanks so much, and it's uh, great to be back. So you joined us back in October, and we talked a lot about what you're working on and, and how you ended up where you are, but could you just very briefly remind our listeners about your work at TechCrunch and your podcast? Sure. So at TechCrunch, uh, I've, been, I've been covering automotive for quite some time now, um, previously at Fortune, and Really, my interest and my focus at TechCrunch is on the future of transportation. And so that's all the ways that people and potentially packages are going to get from point A to point B. Um, of course, I also focus on the present-day problems, but really with, a, with an eye towards the future. And, and that's the point of the podcast as well. It's um, a bit of a motley crew. We have uh, three of us, Alex Roy, Ed Niedermeyer, and myself, in this weekly podcast really focuses on the future of transportation, really specifically on um, autonomous vehicles. And it's as much of an education for us as it is for everyone else. What we like to say is we like to go, you know, sort of a mile deep on one specific narrow issue and, and learn along the way. Yeah. And Alex Roy is quite a personality. For people that aren't familiar with Alex, he set the record for driving from one coast of the U.S. to another also referred to as a cannonball run, and then actually, after the statutes of limitations ran out, uh, wrote a, uh, a well-reviewed book on his endeavor doing that. So so anyways, I, I remember running into you and Alex at the Consumer Electronics Show last week, and would love to hear your thoughts on what some of the highlights were, specifically in automotive. It's amazing how the Consumer Electronics Show has evolved to something that's become, as I understand it, one of the top 10 car shows in the world, not just an electronic show. It is. And it's been headed that way or has been that way for a few years now. And um, it's really interesting because there were also some companies that you would expect to be there that weren't. Um, And and partly because of, you know, they have pretty big schedules um, elsewhere, but like companies like NVIDIA didn't have those big booth presence um, that they have had in the past. But then some automakers have stepped in. And what I noticed this year was, um, I sort of jokingly say, like a sense of desperation. Um, But let me be specific. First of all, it's very difficult to really pinpoint what the next big consumer product is going to be while walking around the show. Um, Because 
there are concepts and ideas that might morph and change and then become the next big thing. Um, but what I noticed here was a ton of LIDAR companies. So these are the considered the essential sensor by most people on autonomous vehicles. I saw more of them this year than ever before. And it's not to say these are new companies. It is more about, I think, their understanding of what is going to be happening in the marketplace in the next 18 months or so, which is going to be consolidation. And they're really making this sort of big effort to show some visibility, get reporters and investors and potential customers, um, you know, eyeballs on their product. And also a bit of a pivot, and you can we can talk about this in a bit, a bit of a pivot in terms of what they're offering. So no more just all about full autonomy, driverless, but also, hey, we're folding in some perception software here. This could be handy. And also, how about for your advanced driver assistance system or your level two plus, which and, is and, a term I heard a lot. And, and when you set the scene for CES, what is it like when you're walking through the hall where all these cars are, where these desperate LIDAR makers are and all the other things? What's, what's it like? How big is it? Well, most of the automotive reporters, we, we end up getting kind of quarantined, as I call it, to North Hall. But imagine a massive convention center where there's a central, a North Hall, and a South Hall. And that's just the convention center. Then there's a whole other area um, at the Sands and some other casinos just overflowing with booths. In the North Hall, this is where you're going to see the big booths, so Audi and Mercedes and Hyundai, Toyota, Ford, all with elaborate displays, tons of people around, and usually some sort of interesting concept car of some kind, something that's never going to come to market, but or potentially, but not likely. And speaking of interesting... Where they're going. And and speaking of interesting concept cars, I understand that Sony, of all companies, introduced a car this year. They did. And I think that that threw everyone a little bit off. Um, But, you know, it's in a way, when you think about it, not terribly extreme, because there is this, like, mashing up of what it... You know, Tesla kind of is a perfect example. It's like, is it a, an automaker or is it a tech company? And we're starting to see those lines blur a little bit. I think for Sony, they wanted to show it was possible, but they also wanted to show, hey, inside the vehicle, there's going to be a lot going on, especially in this future of transportation when there are driverless vehicles, but there will be more time spent. And this is an opportunity for companies like Sony, but a lot of other companies too, like the tier one and tier two suppliers like Continental, um, Bosch, companies like that. And, and was there anything in particular about Sony's car that caught people's attention? Because w- from what I've heard, a lot of people are like just shocked that they did it. But was there something else that was not as obvious that was particularly interesting? At least for me, it was just that um, that I hadn't thought of Sony doing this. Um, and, and really, that was a mistake on my part. And I think it caught a lot of other people by surprise, just surely because it was a car. Um, for anyone who's not really familiar, I mean, it's uh, putting a car out is it, not like some small thing. Um, this doesn't mean that it can drive or um, is um, would meet any standards to be on the road, but it still takes quite a bit of effort. It's not a small exercise in design, um, but 
sometimes these companies do that just to get their engineers sort of excited and really kind of like think through what future products might be like. So I think it was more about just that it was a car and it was very unexpected. That's an interesting point. By having your engineers do something that's probably fun for them, which is design a car for the first time, then you really start to think about what some of those problems might be as opposed to just being a supplier to a car company. Right. So Mercedes is a good example of this. Um, you know, we, we all kind of, some of us had a, a bit of a laugh. They, they showed off a, a concept car inspired by James Cameron's movie Avatar, which is a decade-old movie. And so you might kind of, you know, scratch your head and say, okay, how is this new? Really flashy, crazy-looking concept car. Um, but if you listen to the keynote and then when I was um, interviewing um, the, the head of Mercedes uh, later on, really what it was meant to be is an exercise clearly for the engineers, but also starting to think about uh, their goal for sustainability and what that's going to mean and require um, beyond like, oh, let's recycle or, oh, let's make an EV. No, really thinking about battery chemistry in their battery, thinking about the materials they use um, in the vehicle itself. And so this is really a design and science exercise for them to be thinking about that. So silly kind of flashy, you know, crazy concept car, but there is kind of a point to it all. It just sometimes, you know, you can't see past that when you have James Cameron on stage with you, which is what happened. (laughs) So one of the things that really surprised me about three, four, maybe five years ago was how the automakers changed their presence at CES. It used to be kind of like an aftermarket sort of show. If you wanted to get a spoiler for your car, you wanted to get a really great sounding stereo or ridiculously loud stereo, or it was really more of an aftermarket show where they might support that. And then it unfolded. And then a year or two ago, everybody thought that self-driving cars would be everywhere within a couple of years. And then over the last year or two, there's been a, a really a sobering of expectation about when we're going to see autonomous vehicles. What did, what did you kind of hear or see around this at the show? So that kind of gets to what I was talking about, about LIDAR, but yes, absolutely. Last year at CES, so 2019, all of a sudden, everyone was talking about ADAS again, and I was like, which is Advanced Driver Assistance System. And it was stunning because just uh, the year before, everyone was talking about how uh, robo-taxis fully driverless, no human safety operator. We're going to be here any day. I think a lot of people woke up. I think some companies shut down, I think, and some got acquired. And the big players have now realized that the technical aspects of it, um, they are absolutely getting closer, but there are all these other challenges, product development, um, fleet management. And so all of these other companies in that ecosystem, so teleoperation and sensors, are realizing that, hmm, maybe robotaxis aren't going to be here right away. How are we going to make money? I know. Let's start selling to automakers um, these types of products for advanced driver assistance systems. And so you're really seeing that. Also, some philosophical changes within companies, automakers, saying, okay, we're going to do the robotaxis thing, but also let's do the slow roll of improving vehicles over time by adding more active safety systems, adding more capability. And in a way, a bit kind of how Tesla's always done it, which is Tesla's always done this like 
slow roll towards what they say will be, you know, fully driverless, which is not right now, by the way. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM's Business Radio, Channel 132. I am on the air right now with Kirsten Korosek, a senior reporter and editor at TechCrunch, who is a particular expert in the future of automotive and that entire industry. So one of the things, building on what you were talking about, that, that I've seen is, to a certain extent, everybody thought this was going to happen. And the automakers were wondering, what does this mean for us? Are we going to be out of business in a couple of years, et cetera? But I almost feel a bit of relief among the automakers that this transition is going to take a long time because it means there are plenty of opportunities to upgrade and buy new cars and do things and not have this overnight wholesale shift to, I'm just going to buy mobility as a service. So they're kind of relieved, but at the same time, you had all these startups that you were talking about that were building special sensors for perception and allowing cars to do this that got massively overfunded where you might see, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 different companies trying to build LiDAR and other sensors and other enablers for this. Yeah, I mean, the count I have, and this is based off of talking with other LiDAR companies, so this is just LiDAR, 75 LiDAR startups um, wow. out there. And so there's, and, and, and as far as I can tell, and I've tried to confirm this with others, and still there's yet not an automotive-grade LiDAR sensor. So it shows that there is, and there's a lot of interesting companies out there, but I think what's going to happen on that front is that the cost of LiDAR is going to drop, and companies that haven't figured out a way to provide another kind of service, so adding in sort of perception software, they might end up getting swallowed up by others or just folding all together. Uh, but, you know, it's, yes, I would agree. The automakers do seem more relieved. And we should all be kind of happy about this because, for one, sometimes safety can can get compromised in this, you know, moonshot. Um, and now it's sort of, let's do, let's do the validation. Let's do the hard work. Um, you know, Waymo has now a driverless vehicle out on the road, and uh, they've actually started charging money for it. It's not quite open to the public, but for their members of their Waymo One program can take this, and this is in Chandler. But it's not going to suddenly scale and be saturated in every city overnight. There's so much more work to be done. Um, and it's been interesting to see which companies have kind of risen and fallen and risen again in the past two years. And well, I well, along, very along, curious to see. Yeah, and along those lines, you had talked about a couple of, we were connecting just before the show, a couple of companies that you took demo rides with. Maybe talk about that a bit while you were at CES. Yeah, so the two companies that stood out to me this year in terms of demos, and I've been in a ton of these demos. One is Yandex, which is a Russian company, search engine, you know, giant out of Russia. So it's but, kind of like uh, the so Google equivalent of, Russia yeah. is building their own Waymo. Exactly. And uh, they, did a, they did a driverless ride. So I was in a car with them. Granted, here are the caveats. Was it mapped before? Absolutely. I didn't get to pick my own route. This is a, you know, a route, route that they had mapped. And but is this, where, 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 and just to set the scene, where, where were you at in Las Vegas? Was it on the strip or was it some back roads, closed test circuit? No closed set test circuit. We left the parking garage of the Hard Rock Hotel, so that's off Harmon Avenue, and, and then made about a 20-minute drive 
um, on public roads through uh, a, a series of left-hand turns and up to about 41 to 42 miles an hour. Um, no driver in the driver's seat, so no safety operator. A safety operator was in the passenger seat. There was a big red button that he could have hit. <laughs> and it was a little weird. It was like, okay, you know, how, what, is, what is this going to do? But, you know, to me, two things popped out. One, it was able to navigate just fine within the parking garage and, you know, maneuver around. And two, the big test to me came when it came up behind a parked bus. And, you know, we've all heard stories of these kind of timid self-driving cars um, inching their way out. But I'm guessing the Russians were a little more aggressive. They were very aggressive, but confident. I would say confident and kind of paused, looked, went. And so that was pretty interesting. Um, and they are actually going to be in Detroit at the Detroit Auto Show. Um, they are going to be doing something with um, Hyundai Mobis, I believe. And they have, uh, they're going to have a, a little pilot there. So I'm really curious to see if it improves. And then really quickly, the other one is George Hotz. And if you don't know George Hotz, he's the... Geohot is his other name, and um, he is the one at 17 who uh, jailbroke the, the iPhone and has gone and started uh, Comma.ai. His is an aftermarket product that is, um, he's open sourced all the software, and he's selling the sort of hardware kit to it. I've been in his cars since 2015, and uh, I was really amazed at how well it operated. It kind of in a level two plus driver assistance type style, but on city streets, it was seamless. It was quite now, good and it's really come a long way. And, and what were the pieces of equipment? Did you say it was a single piece of equipment? So um, it, basically what there, no, there, there is a car harness that you have to buy that goes with it. Um, and then it is, imagine a phone um, sort of that acts like a, um, it, it, it situates right underneath the rear of the mirror. There's a forward facing camera. But there's also the ability um, to um, drive at night, and it also has a driver monitoring system. So you can drive hands-free, actually no hands on the wheel, but as soon as you turn your head, you um, get a, a warning, an audible one, and it will shut off. So it's a slightly different approach. Um, we could do a whole show about it, but but it's it's pretty interesting, and, you know, you can – I think they have it capable of uh, being in 60 different makes and models now. So you can just buy it. Um, and they release their new product while they're at CES. And you mentioned city streets. Is it for highway autopilot type stuff? Or is it actually allowing you to like stop at lights and stop and go and turn in and out of driveways? Um, so it's really meant for highway, but what they wanted to show was how robust it had, had become. So just like autopilot, it does not, uh, Tesla's autopilot, it does not recognize stop signs and traffic lights. So as long as a vehicle is in front of you, you know, it's following the vehicle in front of you. But a really interesting thing I saw is that it does recognize fully stopped vehicles, which most stock systems in uh, cars today don't. Um, so, so it handled it really well. It handles all the steering. Um, it will not change lanes for you. Um, you still have to look, but it is sensing things around you. So kind of a crazy, um, do it yourself 
style way of turning your car into fairly fairly capable. I tested it against the stock system in the vehicle, and it was so much better. And we also tested it against the Tesla Autopilot. And you'll have to wait for my article, but let's just say that it was uh, uh, very comparable. <laughs> very comparable. <laughs> so final question here, because I'm in Seattle right now where oddly it's dumping snow rather than raining right now. It, it seems to snow here a lot more than I had expected. Amazon. What is yeah. Amazon up to in the automotive industry? So I'm glad that you mentioned that because uh, so we've been hearing about them, you know, developing some stuff for auto for a while. This is not new. But what was really interesting is that they are absolutely trying to lock in real, the real estate on, on voice assistance. So, you know, I hate to be dramatic about it and say, oh, it's going to be Google Assistant versus Alexa. But but it's kind of shaping up to be that way. Uh, Google has a huge head start. For one, they sell an operating system for the automo- auto, you know, automobile um, called Android Automotive OS. This is not the HMI system called Android Auto that people might be familiar with. It's like Apple CarPlay. This is actually the underlying um, operating system for the infotainment for the infotainment system of a car. And a number of companies like Volvo have locked on this Amazon. Um, this Amazon push with Alexa, uh, they showcase like Lamborghini and Rivian and a number of other um, com- car companies uh, at deciding to add an Alexa because really, you know, I think we've all experienced like the infotainment systems and how voice works in vehicles isn't that great. Um, they had a, a packed display the whole time. The Rivian truck, the R1P, I believe it's called. It's, this is the all-electric next-generation pickup truck, right, and delivery trucks. Brand-new car, brand-new company. They have an SUV. They have a pickup truck. This booth was jammed every single day, including the last day. People were just really enthralled with the truck. But Rivian's, one of its big investors is Amazon. So there's some really interesting things that Amazon's doing with Alexa. In fact, Rivian is going to be building – 100,000 electric vans for Amazon. And Alexa is going to be integrated in that, which is interesting as a, what that's going to be like for its drivers. <laughs> um, it'll be, I have some questions for Amazon, like will, will drivers, will their employees be able to turn off Alexa <laughs> um, or will it be monitoring them at all times? In Rivian, they can, it can be disabled. You know, there's a personally owned vehicle, no problem. But yeah, uh, Alexa, I feel like it's going to be in a lot more cars, and or at least Amazon is really pushing for that. Well, Kirsten, this has been a fantastic segment. Thank you so much for this overview and all the insight on what happened with automotive at CES. Thanks so much. And uh, where can our listeners go to keep up with you on, do you have a website, Twitter, et cetera? Well, you can always read me at techcrunch.com, but at Kirsten Korosek. On Twitter is a really good way to reach out to me or see what I'm writing about. Great. Well, Kirsten, thanks again. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.